good evening to all those that are here with us tonight, and especially those online, and especially those that are visiting with us. Thank you for being with us tonight. We're so thankful and grateful for your presence tonight as well. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue our talking about the acts of worship. We have been engaged in a series of studies that relates to worship and the great blessings that we able, are able to enjoy as the people of God. And in fact, we have the opportunity to come together on a regular basis in order so, for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, well, we can't thank God and ourselves enough to be able to be here for that. And I want us to think about prayer and worship to God. You know, prayer is a great blessing. And the songs that we sing that are all focused on that privilege and really the blessings that we enjoy as God's people together. All because we have the throne of God that is before us, to which we can avail ourselves at any time, day or night. And that is a tremendous blessing. You know, Peter said, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Right? But the face of the Lord is against them that do. 1 Peter 3.12 So, as we think about worship, and the importance of worship, and how prayer relates to our worship to God, there are five acts of worship. And prayer is just one of those acts that we're able and happy to engage in as we come before the throne of God. We first notice the pattern for prayer in worship. When we talk about a pattern, we're talking about a blueprint, and we have a divine blueprint from Almighty God. Now, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul said that, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so in the book of 1 Timothy, some of the things that Paul discusses relates to our worship to Almighty God. And not just our worship to God, but also the structure, the organizational structure of the church. In chapter 3 of that 1 Timothy, Paul sets forth the qualifications of those who would serve as the elders and also the deacons in the church. But tonight, as we think about the pattern for prayer and worship and the blueprint that we have before us, I want us to notice the place for prayer in worship. Is there a place for prayer in our worship to Almighty God? I think all of us would agree that that answer would be a resounding yes. But look at 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Paul said, I would therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, some translations say that men pray in every place. And I think that that's what Paul is trying to say here, is that whenever the church comes together, it's always right and it's always appropriate for those of us who belong to the Lord's church to be able to engage in this act of prayer. Now, if you look at the New Testament, you'll find that the early church engaged in corporate prayer. In Acts 2 and verse 42, the Bible tells us that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer. 
and in fellowship and in breaking up bread and prayers, right? And so regularly they prayed to Jehovah God and in worship they prayed to God. In Acts chapter 4, the command was given to Peter and John not to preach nor teach in the name of Jesus. And of course, they, they responded by saying in verse 20 there, well, but we cannot but speak, right? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They, they reported about the events that transpired after they left the presence of the of the council and they went back to those members and reported those events and they engaged in prayer at that particular time about the situation and their love for God. They prayed that with all boldness they may speak the word of God, verse 29. And then in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we also read about Herod where the Bible tells us that Herod had put forth his hand and had James, the brother of John, killed by the sword. Now, the Bible also tells us that in that context that he had the apostle Peter apprehended and placed in prison. But when you go to verse 5, we read that the church offered prayer to God on behalf of Peter. Now, as a matter of fact, Luke tells us that but prayer was made without ceasing. And so I believe that they understood the very power of prayer, if you will. And later in that same text, you'll find that Peter was later released. And then in Acts chapter 13, we read about the church in Antioch where Paul and and Barnabas were about to embark on their missionary journey. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 of that text that the brethren at Antioch engaged in prayer on their behalf. They're about to go off and spread the borders of the kingdom in those areas, and the church in Antioch prayed for them in that missionary journey. And so prayer was a normal part of the life of the church, and it was a part of the New Testament worship in the first century, and it is a part of our worship to God even today, isn't it? And that was the place for prayer and worship. Now there's a second thing that I want you to see in verse 8. What about the people who are to lead prayer? in worship. Look at verse 8. Here's what Paul said. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now the word for men here is the male only. There is a difference in the original language for the word men. And if you back up and you look at verses 3 and 4 of that text, listen to what Paul said. He said, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now that word for men in verse 4 is the word that is in the original that denotes both male and female. That's anthropos. But in verse 8, the Greek word is anir. And it is simply designates the male only. And so when Paul, what Paul is saying here is that God would have males to lead in public prayer. Now, having said that, drop down to verse 12, where Paul said, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, sometimes individuals, they have the idea that this was just a cultural thing. I mean, that, this, this is not all the time. This was just a cultural thing thing that some would even say that the apostle Paul was biased and that he was a male chauvinist in some some area but that's not the case at all 
We have to understand that there are differing roles and responsibilities given to both males and females. Now, look at verse 13. Sometimes individuals say, well, what Paul was saying was cultural in nature. But notice here that Paul dismisses that argument because he said, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And so we see here there's the headship of man, but the authority of Christ. And really what the Apostle Paul was doing here is that he's regulating those that would function as leaders in the worship. And so here we need to respect what God has said in his word. When we talk about the roles and when we talk about the responsibilities of males and females. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, Paul said, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Paul is simply saying that there is a divine order of things, if you will. There are some people in our world today that they would make the argument that there are a lot of intelligent women and and they have a lot of uh, abilities and they have a lot to offer. And so why not allow them to lead in that corporate assembly as After all, it makes sense. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's that's what the world says. That's, That's what Satan says. Please listen very carefully. It's not about ability. It's about authority. And I think we need to get that and understand that wholeheartedly. There are a lot of women that are very talented. There are women that are very capable speakers. There are women that are excellent students when it comes to the Word of God. I don't, I don't demean that in any way at all. But the bottom line is, is that God is saying that when it comes to the church and to the worship, in the realm of worship, men are the ones that are to lead in the worship. And then when we look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 and following, we find that the Apostle Paul talks about those that would be uh, serving as elders and deacons in the church. And with that, who did God designate to serve in those capacities? Well, the male, right? The males. I know that there are a lot of religious organizations today, and there are some congregations of God's people, believe it or not, that they have decided that they're going to appoint women to be able to serve in a leadership role, whether it's leading the opening prayer or leading the closing prayer or even serving on the Lord's table and passing around the, the emblems of the Lord's Supper or whatever it might be. Even some are going as far as preaching from the pulpit. I have heard and seen some of those that graduated from some of our schools that They were taught how to preach, and they were said that it was okay for them to preach. I don't know. They didn't get that from the Bible. Not at all. And so they have made that decision to appoint these women to serve in these leadership roles. They have taken that initiative to allow them to lead in a public way and in mixed Bible classes. But listen, that, that is not God's way. That is not God's way. It comes down to whether or not we are willing to respect the very authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Right? Matthew 28, 18. God the Father said in Matthew 17, 5, we are to hear ye him. 
God, uh, Paul said in Colossians 3, 17, that, that whatsoever we do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All that means is that we're to do it by his authority. There is no other authority. There is no other will. There is no other thought. There is no authority for women serving in the leadership positions of the Lord's church. Now, there are a lot of opportunities for women to serve. And I don't think that when the Apostle Paul set forth these regulations that he was saying in any way that women are second-rate citizens. No, not in, not in any case at all. As a matter of fact, I believe that women in many respects are the backbone of the church itself, right? Yes. I mean, there are a lot of congregations that have literally been held together because of the women, by godly women. If it were not for godly women, some of these congregations would not even be present today. And so we are grateful for women. You know, we're grateful for them. And we can read about what Paul said in Titus chapter 2, where the aged women are to teach the younger women, right? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be keepers in the home. Very, very important uh, work, if you will. There's a lot of things that godly women can do even in the church. And I'm very grateful for that. But what about the purpose of prayer in worship? Are there some blessings for us in, in worship when it comes to the act of prayer? I, I would say that there are many blessings. There, go back and look down with me to 1 Timothy 2 again. And first of all, notice with me the exhortation to pray. In verse 1, Paul said... I, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving in of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Paul here is saying that one of the things that is the lifeblood of the church is prayer, that we ought to be engaged in prayer as individuals in our spiritual lives. Uh, there are, but corporately we are instructed to pray. There are a lot of reasons why we are to pray. You know, in the New Testament, there are any number of passages of scripture that encourages God's people to pray. Jesus said, as recorded by Luke in Luke 18, 1, that men ought always to pray and not faint. Well, Jesus would have us engaging in prayer on a regular basis. And then I think about the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, where he said, pray without ceasing, right? I mean, I believe that what Paul was saying here is that prayer ought to be just a normal part of our everyday lives. You know, the psalmist said in the long ago, he said, even in the morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. Psalm 55, 17, you know, faithful Jews, they prayed three times a day. You and I, we have the opportunity to be able to approach the throne of God and to be able to offer our petitions and thanksgivings and, and, and supplications uh, to Him. What a great blessing it is, right? And so we're encouraged to pray, but look at with me at some examples of those for whom we should pray. But before we look at those examples, I, I will say this, that when we do pray to God, one of the things that we need to remember to do is that we need to remember to give him thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Look at all the great blessings. Look at all the benefits that we enjoy as God's people. It only stands the reason that when we approach him in prayer that 
we remind ourselves of all that he has done for us and then express that to him, right? Again, look at what Paul said in Colossians 4.2. He says, continue in prayer and watch in same with thanksgiving. In Philippians 4 and verse 6, Paul said, be careful for nothing or be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And so we can thank God for all of those great blessings that we enjoy in this life. You know, James tells us, tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, right? And cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. There is no way that you and I can itemize all of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. But then also another thing, as we think about prayers offered to God, we ought to acknowledge His greatness, His superiority, right? We ought to remember that we are in the presence of Almighty God, an eternal God, and He is worthy of our praise and our adoration, right? And we ought to praise and adore Him for all that He has done and all that He continues to do. And so I, I mentioned this before, before we looked at some of the examples of people for whom we should pray. But number one, I believe that we ought to pray for the lost. Look at what Paul said again in verse 3 of our text. Paul said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. Christ came to save sinners. That's what he's about. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15 that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul said. You know, Christ came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. And so we need to be concerned about the lost. That's what I was preaching about this morning, that one key that that helped make the church grow so rapidly in the first century. It's the same key that will help the 21st century church as to grow rapidly as well. We need to be concerned about the lost. We ought to pray for the lost. Listen to Paul in Romans 10 and verse 1 when he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We should be praying for the lost. Do you know somebody that's in a lost condition even tonight? I mean, anybody. I, I would imagine that all of us know somebody. You know, just got word tonight that somebody had his neighbor and they had to ask that neighbor to, to come to services on occasion. Of course, they refused. But many of you and others have told me as well that reached out to certain friends and family members to no avail. But don't quit. Don't quit doing that. Invite and hopefully one day they will say and they will come. When you think about the vast sea of people if you, that we come in contact on a daily basis, the majority of, of which are outside the body of Christ, we ought to be praying for them. Praying for those people. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 4.2. When Paul said, continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving, he said, with all praying also for us. 
that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. What Paul's saying here is pray to God that he would open up a door, an opportunity, so that he might have the opportunity to share the gospel to those who are lost and dying in sin. If we're not, if we're not praying for doors of opportunity to be opened in this community, whether it be our friends or our family members, our neighbors, or our co-workers, or uh, co-students, classmates, if we're not doing that, we're missing out on something. You know, if we're not concerned about the lost, then, then we are not like Christ because Jesus was concerned about the lost. He set the example. We're to follow him. Jesus came to die for lost people and Jesus was interested in lost people. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, right? Of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. In Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all of mankind, right? Jesus was interested in the lost. And you and I, as members of the body of Christ, ought to be interested in the lost as well. I would recommend, I would encourage all of us to maybe just identify just one person. Identify just one person, if you will. To start with that one person and identify that, that individual and begin praying for that person. Pray that God will be able to open the door, right, for you to speak the gospel to that individual. That's what I encourage you to do. Think about who it might be. Share the good news. And when the word falls on good and honest hearts, guess what? The Bible says it's going to yield fruit. It will yield fruit. We have no control of whether or not somebody will obey the gospel. But we do have the control over whether or not that gospel is shared by us. Whether or not that gospel seed is sown. And if it's not being sown, then guess what? It's not going to yield any kind of harvest. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 38. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The church today needs laborers. We need men and women interested in the lost. There are a lot of congregations that are dying or are already dead. As I talked about this morning, there's three types of churches, either a living church or a dying church or a dead church. And that's just all there is to it. But we want to be a living church. And we want to be out there evangelizing. We have a tremendous opportunity in this community. People represent souls. People are either going to be in eternity in heaven or hell. And there's no in-between. And what we want to do is see people being saved. And that's what God wants. Because the Bible says God will have all men to be saved. Right? And to come into the knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 2. You know, people can't know the truth if you and I don't share that truth. We've got the truth. I, that's what I've always found interesting. You know, I'd, I'd be more than willing to debate anybody. But I'm telling you, I've got the truth. And, and, and debate's over as soon as I mention the scripture right from the word of God. That that's, that's what it is. But of course, they're going to argue, you know, carry on. But God's word, that's the truth. And we've got it. Why don't we want to spread it? Why don't we want to teach others? There's a second class of people that we ought to be praying for, and that's the sick and the suffering. There are a lot of people in our world today, they are sick and they're suffering because 
of the sickness. And one of the blessings that we have collectively as God's people is we can bring people's attention to those who are sick. Our list keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But I tell you what, a lot of souls are being prayed for. A lot of people, and, and some of those prayers have been answered in the way that we thought that they ought to be answered, but God still answers those prayers in the way that He feels need to be answered. But we don't stop praying just because somebody died. We don't stop praying just because it, it seems like that there's nothing happening and people are just getting sicker and sicker. No, we continue to pray. We know and we believe in the power of prayer. God in heaven will hear our prayers. Every time we come together, we make known in a public way those who are requesting prayers on their behalf. What a great blessing to know that we can go before the throne of God and our prayers are actually going past the ceiling, you see. Instead of all those that are saying, well, I'll pray for you and it doesn't get past the ceiling, you know. What a great blessing to know that we can go before the throne of God and individually mention people who need our prayers. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said? He said, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 16. Here are people that have needs. What are we doing? Well, we're bound in the presence of Almighty God. We're laying their names before his throne and God in his providence does what? Well, he responds accordingly. Now we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer and we believe in the privilege of prayer. And what a great blessing it is to know that we can come before God and make our wants and petitions. I mentioned a moment ago, Acts 12 and verse 5, where the church prayed for Peter and Peter was in prison, you know. And I, I don't know what his circumstances were in prison, but I, I can only imagine they weren't the best uh, in that situation. That he was not very comfortable. I think about the Apostle Paul, and Paul wrote four inspired letters from prison. And the Apostle Paul needed prayer. He needed prayer, people praying for him. And I think people were praying for him. And, and Paul was probably not in the best of circumstances, but people on the outside could pray for him and he can know it and rejoice in it. You know, that's, that's what's interesting. I think about individuals in the body of Christ who may not be able to do a lot because of, of their physical condition, but one thing they can do is pray. That's right. They can pray. And I know many of you are in prayer. Those that might be watching online are not able to get out, not able to do a lot. But I know that you're engaged in prayer and you pray for us and, and we appreciate that. And so we have the assurance that our prayers are heard. A third class of individuals that we ought to be praying for is our leaders in the government, right? Boy, do they need prayers, right? I mean, go back and look at verse 1 again. Paul said, I exhort therefore first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he goes on to say, for kings and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If there was ever a time in the history of this congregation, I mean, in the history of this country, we ought to be praying for our leadership. And it's now right? Our country is literally upside down, and to be quite frank, I'm not sure if these guys in Washington have a clue in what they're doing. But guess what? I'm praying for them anyway. 
I'm praying for them. I don't really have a whole lot of faith in them. You have to wonder what the future holds, right? But I, I truly believe and fully believe that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. God is involved in the affairs of mankind. God is involved in the affairs of this nation. But you and I, we belong to the family of God. And we have the power of prayer. The power, the privilege of prayer. We have to let our light shine. We have to be a leavening agent for good. Because Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right? Matthew 5, 13. We need to be praying collectively, corporately for our nation and for the leaders of this nation. What Solomon said is still true. He said, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14, 34. When people live lives that are contrary to the will of God, then ultimately negative consequences will come forth. But why is that? Because there's a divine law, and it's called sowing and reaping. Whatever they sow, they shall reap. Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 7. So we need to understand that we need to be praying for our nation. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The answer to our country is not the political process. It's not whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or independent or a Green or whatever else there is out there. I'm in no way minimizing the political process. I'm not minimizing the democracy that we have. But the answers to the ills of our country is the gospel. It's the gospel. If anybody knows it, it ought to be God's people, right? Whatever man, woman, and child in this nation needs tonight is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's another class of people that we ought to be praying for. We ought to be praying for our leadership, our eldership. We ought to be praying on a regular basis for them. And let me encourage you to pray for their wives, their wives as well. And and when you think about the magnitude of responsibility that rests on these men who serve as elder, you know, Hebrews 13, 17 tells us to obey them, to have the rule over us. And one of the reasons is because these men are to give an account for us to Almighty God. What a huge responsibility. The writer said that they may do it with joy and not with grief, right? And the fact that they are overseeing our souls and really what's important is the spiritual side. But the elders have the responsibility of being involved in the lives of people, the church, in caring for them, shepherding them. And, and so we, we will be praying for our elders. But then we ought to be praying for our deacons as well and for their wives, right? They, these two men that serve as deacons in this congregation, they, they need our prayers. Max Herman and Van Stewart, we ought to pray for them and their wives that they continue to engage in the works that's been delegated to them. You know, sometimes we might put a a huge responsibility, a lot of responsibility on these two men and what they need. They need is, what they need from us is help. You know, some of the things that they need help in is that you don't have to be a deacon to help, right? You don't have to be a deacon. There are opportunities to, to, for service in this congregation. And you don't have to wear the title of a, of a deacon to be involved in the work of the church. If you want to know what you can do to help the work of the church and you don't know what to do, well, ask the elders. Ask the deacons. And maybe they might say, well, you know, I'm going to be over here at the church building tomorrow to do this and that. Do you want to come by and help me out? That would be great. Always need a helper in some way, you know. 
We could use your help. They could use your help. And then we also to pray for those who preach and teach the gospel. And on behalf of Teresa, my wife, we covet your prayers. We need your prayers. And it's my honor to be able to stand in front of this assembly, even tonight, every first day of the week, and preach the gospel. And I understand that I'm going to give an account to Almighty God about what I preach. Okay? I will. And, and I want to make sure that what I preach is from this book and this book only. And I want to make sure that I do it in accordance with what is dictated in Scripture. That I reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.2. And there are a lot of times that I wonder, is there something else I could have said? Or, I mean, or should have said. Did I say this in the right way? Did I not say it in the right way? Did I say too much? Or did I not say enough? It's, it's, it's really kind of hard to try to get a lot of information in in 30 to 35 minutes. But, it, but I try to do it. I try to do it, but I just have to put it off to another sermon and, and say, well, I could have said it in that one, but I'll have to say it in the next one. And, and maybe I feel like I'm repeating myself, but, you know, sometimes I leave and I think that I could have done a better job. You know, whatever that might be. But I think I need your prayers. And I think that everybody who preaches and teaches the gospel would covet your prayers. Our, our teachers in the summer, in the, uh, in the Bible school, they need your prayers as well. Mark Bernhardt, who takes my place when I'm out of town for whatever reason, he, he needs your prayers. There's a lot of blessings being a, a child of God. And when I look at the church, I think about the fact that it's a team effort, right? We're all in this thing together. And as the old saying goes, let's go to heaven together. I know you want to go. I do. And let's do all we can as we make up the church. Let me close by saying that Scripture teaches us about the effectiveness for this prayer to work. James said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5. Prayer is a very important part of Christianity. And so it might be the case tonight that you're here and you're not a child of God and we want to encourage you to become one. Time is now. Don't, don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. Get it done. Take care of that situation and take care of your soul. Your soul is in need of the gospel to, to be able to hear it and believe it and, and obey it. And so if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to repent, that is to make a 180-degree turn from what you've been doing and start doing things according to God's Word, if you're willing to make that good confession of, of the name of Jesus Christ and then put the Lord on in baptism, we're going to assist you in every way. We have, we have an extra change of clothes. We have some towels. And uh, we'll get you wet so you can, so you can dry off. But we're going to bury you in that watery grave. You're going to die to sin, be buried in a watery grave, and rise to walk in newness of life, a child of God. Boy, I, every time that I baptize somebody, I, I have seen a smile that goes from ear to ear every time. And I'm, I'm wondering what they're thinking. I know what they're thinking. I got salvation. I'm in the family of God. I know that if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. I want you to be able to experience that as well. Won't you come? Well, you might be already a child of God. Maybe you wandered 
off. Maybe your prayers haven't been as, as, as sincere as they used to be. Maybe you haven't been praying enough. But you know what you need to do. Make things right. Repent and pray that God will forgive you of those sins and then come back and be restored to that. The time is now. We're going to sing 180.